Thank you. you. May be seated this morning, and I'm glad that you chose to worship with us today. If uh, you don't know, I am John, and I am blessed uh, to serve as a pastor here at Hallmark, and just want to thank you for joining us today. And as was already mentioned, if you haven't had a chance to meet myself or my wife, we would love to meet you right after uh, the service in the foyer. And also today, we have our a Discover Hallmark, which is just a, a really a kind of informal meet and greet, an opportunity for you to meet myself and my wife. We'll be in, uh, in the Family Center. So if you would like to join us, we're going to have some coffee, some donuts, some cookies, and just an opportunity for you to get to know us, ask a few questions about the church, maybe to explore what it means to be a member. Uh, take about 20 minutes, and uh, after the service, you can just walk through the foyer, through the atrium, and you'll see about three different people holding signs that say Discover Hallmark, just ask them where to go. They'll be glad to direct you and uh, lead you to that. Uh, just kind of a meet and greet uh, this morning. Did you guys have a good week? Anybody have a bad week? All right. I, I, I mean, I had, you know, I, I turned 50 this week, so that was great, right? So I do want to say thank you to all of you who gave me. I spent about an hour and a half last Sunday afternoon just reading a bunch of cards, and it was awesome just to hear, uh, and, and several people even posted pictures, and several people posted about uh, with, their, with their grandkids, that I got to take pictures of some grandkids, and really that like three, at least there's been many families in this church right now that I've been a part of your family and ministering here at the church for three generations, which means I'm old, but it's awesome, right? I, 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 and somebody posted on Facebook this week, uh, on one of my birthday comments, they said, I can't believe you're only eight years older than me. It seemed like when you first moved here, you were just a little kid, you know. I was 24, I think, is that right, Joy? 24 when Joy and I moved here to serve at Hallmark, and God has just been faithful all these years, and well, now I'm not 24 anymore, and so praise the Lord for that. Turn to Psalm chapter 10, or find your way to Psalm chapter 10, uh, if you are following along on your phone or maybe a tablet or an iPad. Uh, look up if you have, I'm sure you've downloaded Version Bible app. If you haven't, you should. Uh, and all of our notes every Sunday morning are on the Version Bible app, so you can follow along. You can add your own notes to that. Um, and you just have to look in the Version Bible app under events, all right? And it should show up based on your location. You can search for Hallmark if it doesn't come up immediately. And you can, you can follow along. So we are in this series, as you can see from the screen this morning, Summer Playlist. And I've had a lot of great feedback about uh, this summer. We've been just kind of marching through the first 10 chapters of Psalms. And if you don't know, Psalms is 150 chapters. It's 150 Psalms songs slash poems. And so we uh, already have it on the calendar for next year, June the 2nd. All right, we'll be in Psalm chapter 11, okay? So we'll pick up summer playlist again next summer. How many of you are ready for school to start? Wow. How many of you are not ready for school to start? Okay, Everyone, I think everyone has either already started or going to start this week. Is that right? For the most part, maybe not some college students. I don't know. Uh, I'm at the point now in my life that I don't have to figure out or care when school starts. Um, I do know that last, this past Monday, both of my kids uh, started their first day back at school. My daughter, it's her first day of teaching first grade. 
And my son, believe it or not, it was his second year to teach. He teaches history and I don't really know what else. I think he just shows up and they tell him to teach, but uh, he, he, he texted me this week. They gave him about 30 minutes notice. I can't remember what day it was. He got to preach in chapel and, and uh, you know, you get that text and say, hey, so-and-so sick, can you preach in 30 minutes? Anybody ever had that text? All right, a few of you. How many of you would, would, would die if you got that text? Like, we should do that one Sunday, like just have a lottery and say, all right, it's your turn to come up and speak. Who would? No, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. That'd be terrible. How many of you ever, ever asked the question, why? Can we just say why together? It's almost like you asked me the question, why would I say that together? I don't know, I was processing, sorry. Why? How many of you had a, a kid that drove you nuts with the question why? How many of you have a kid right now who <laughs> drives you nuts? I, I asked this question on Facebook yesterday, is it all right to ask God why? And somebody, you know, super spiritual person is like, well, do you ever get tired when your kid asks you why? And I was like, yes, but I'm not God, right? I, I, and I was, I was honestly surprised by the question you ask, is it okay to ask God why? And I don't think anyone out of, I don't remember how many comments, 50 or 60 comments there were, I don't think anyone said, no, it's not okay. And it, honestly, it kind of shocked me a little bit. I thought that possibly there may be some reservation for us as you know, maybe some of you are new to Christianity. Some of you, this is the first time to be in a church. Some of you have been in here for many, many years. And, and I just thought maybe there would be a little bit of like hesitation. I don't know. Maybe the I don't knows just didn't respond and they were waiting to hear. But, but the question why, and I, I have some like follow-up questions on that. And you'll, you'll understand why I'm asking this question when we, when we look at Psalm 10. Can you and can I can we worship God even in the middle of worrying? I wasn't expecting a response, but I'm glad you did. Okay, can we, can we worship God while we're waiting for God to answer our question why? And can we worship God when we're wondering, and I don't mean wondering like I can't find my way, but wondering if God even you could fill in the blank, cares, knows, sees, hears, can answer. Can, so can we worship even in the wondering? Yes or no? Yes. And, and the psalmist starts out the question. So in Psalm chapter 10, we've kind of gone through the last few Psalms where we know that King David was the author. We somewhat know sometimes what the... Um, the, the surrounding circumstances are. Oh, we also have been given a title. We've even been given a tune. And this one, Psalm chapter 10, we don't know who the author is. We don't know the tune it's supposed to be sung to. We don't know the circumstances surrounding it. And, and we don't have a title. And maybe for all of us, that's better. Because maybe we can then apply it a little easier to maybe our circumstances. But he, he starts out, Psalm chapter 10. Let's just take time to read the entire chapter. Psalm chapter 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? You ever felt like God was distant from you? You ever felt like God didn't hear, God didn't care? Didn't, like the second question you ask, why do you hide in times of trouble? 
The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in their plots, which they have devised. For the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. It seems contrast to Psalm chapter nine. Remember Psalm chapter nine last week? The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble. I'm reading verse 10. Those who know your name will put their trust in you for you have not forsaken those who seek you. And we see this contrast. He says, they do not seek you. Verse number five, Psalm chapter 10. His way His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far off of his sight. As far as all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. Verse 11, he has said in his heart, God has forgotten, he hides his face, he will never see. Verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your head. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief. You repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare your heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may be oppressed no more. Would you pray with me for just a moment? God, I ask that in this, in the next few minutes, Lord, that we could hear from you. Lord, as some of us maybe even this morning have walked in with this question, why? God, it seems like you are distant. It seems like you're far off. It seems like you're not working on my behalf. It seems like, God, the the wicked are winning. It seems like, God, that there is no judgment for those who are proudful. God, I pray you would speak into us today. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Let, let me give you a quick outline of Psalm chapter number 10, and then we'll kind of walk back through it, all right? So if you're taking notes or if you want to, probably the easiest thing to do is take a picture of the screen, but here's just a quick outline of Psalm chapter 10. All right, first is this, that we have this honest question, like this honest question that the psalmist is simply saying, why? Why God? And again, as most everyone answered on my Facebook question, yeah, it's okay to ask God the question, why? God is not threatened by your doubt. God is not worried by your worry. God is not sitting there thinking, oh, I hope they'll just figure it out. No, we can question God. So it's an honest question, God, why? Then we see the description of the wicked in verses two through 11. And it kind of broken down in two ways. It's the pride of the wicked, verses two through five, plans of the wicked, verses six through 11, the prayer of the righteous, and then the proclamation of the righteous. Now, it seems like this author, the psalmist, we don't know who it is, is looking at the world and he sees like upside down world, right? Like that as scripture teaches us that people will turn their back on God, that people are gonna say what's good is bad and what's bad is 
good. And it seems like the author, the psalmist is simply saying, as he looks at the world in his culture, in his context to say, God, it seems like the wicked win. It seems like the wicked prosper. Have you ever asked the question? Have you ever heard the question? Why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? You guys ever heard that question? Well, it seems like the psalmist is asking the reverse of that question. Why do good things happen to bad people? And I think about in our context, in our culture, in our country, in our community, in our city, I think that I feel like I could ask the same question the psalmist is asking. Because it seems like in our culture that what was good is now bad and what was bad is now good. Doesn't everything seem to be flipped? And as Nathan alluded to, I want us to be really clear because it seems like, it doesn't seem like, it's very clear in our culture right now that Satan is attacking specifically in two areas, mostly around the same thing, but kind of in, in two aspects of that. And that is he's attacking the home, he's attacking the marriage, he's attacking the understanding of what God intended for marriage, and he's really doing that in the ways of also attacking like gender identity, right? And when you think about in our culture what was right is now wrong, what seemed like common sense 10 years ago is not so common anymore. What seemed like there was this baseline of something, the baseline is gone. Do you guys agree with me on that? And as Nathan already alluded to, at Hallmark, we basically have four core values, what we call the hallmarks of Hallmark. And when we understand the hallmarks of Hallmark, really the foundational hallmark, the foundational core value of Hallmark is pretty simple, is that we strive to be biblically driven. Right, biblically driven. What does being biblically driven mean? It means that we will not adjust the Bible to fit our lives or our culture. We will adjust our lives to fit the Bible. Like if the Bible says so, then that's so. Whether I agree with it or not, whether the Bible says so, the Bible is, it's the authority. And we understand in our culture when we remove any kind of moral authority, where has that gotten us, right? And so in these two specific, specific examples I've given you, let's just look at two verses, Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Doesn't it seem very clear to us in scripture that there are two genders that God created, yes or no? We are created in the image of God. That's how we are uniquely different from animals. God has breathed his spirit into us and we are, we are image bearers of God. And as image bearers of God, he has created us male and female, he created them. And it is in the creation of us, what is our responsibility? We said, what's the chief end of man? We ended last week with that question. It's to glorify God. And I can glorify God by being a proper image bearer of my creator. Let's, let's look at one more verse. Genesis chapter two, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And we understand what God's plan for man was that it would be one man with one woman, one male with one female for one lifetime. And that's what we preach and that's what we teach. Now, I also want you to understand that statistically, 
50% of marriages end in divorce, correct? So statistically, that means potentially half of you in the room have been divorced. And what I want you to know is though we believe this is a standard God has set, that God also is a God of grace and forgiveness and mercy. And the truth is I need a lot of grace and mercy. Do you need a lot of grace and mercy? And so we wanna preach the truth, but as scripture teaches us, we wanna preach the truth in love. And I'm thankful that 1 John 1, 9 says that if we will ask God for forgiveness, what will God do? He'll forgive us, he'll restore us, he'll use us. He can use your story for his glory, no matter what your story is, if you surrender it to him. But this question, why God do you let good things happen to bad people? Why don't you deal with all the wickedness, God? Have you ever asked that question? I thought I'd be quiet when I asked that. Just feel like, ah, I don't wanna be the judgy person, okay? Have you, no, I'm not even gonna ask that. We've all thought it, right, whether we've asked it or not. God, why don't, you know, what's interesting about this psalm is we don't really get an answer to the question. Why, God, do you not just rain down judgment on the people? And we, we get kind of a, a long-term perspective of it, but not an immediate today response. And I sometimes wish God would give me an immediate today response. Do you agree with that? But, but listen to this statement that kind of summarizes this thought of the question of why does evil continue and God, you don't judge it. And, and I'll give you a, a resource if you don't know it already, this website called gotquestions.org. And it's a great resource on helping you process through scripture. You might have a question, why, why do good things happen to bad people? You could type it in. Here's, here's a response. Taken as a whole, as intended, the Bible describes evil as something God allowed but never con condoned for our free will. In other words, God created us with a free will. Throughout history, God has taken steps to limit the influence of evil. Most importantly, God himself took the consequences of our sin so that every person can have access to forgiveness and salvation. As a result, all sin, evil, and suffering will end entirely someday. Are you looking forward to that someday? In, in case there's not clarity, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. So we don't have time to get into Revelation 19 and 20, but in Revelation 19 and 20, God will eventually, finally, and fatally judge all sin. There will be a day of reckoning. If you wanna hear a great sermon on that, a few weeks ago, Pastor Nathan preached in Psalm chapter seven that really highlights this issue. So go back a few weeks on our YouTube channel, Psalm chapter seven, Pastor Nathan preached on this. But in Revelation 19 and 20, we see that the judgment will fall upon the earth. And in Revelation 21, we see what's gonna happen after final judgment happens on the earth. All right, Revelation 21, verse one. Now, this is John, he's seen a vision in the future. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
We'll read about, you could read about that in 19 and 20. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death for sorrow, or excuse me, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and God will make all things new and God will eventually, finally and fatally judge all sin. Are you looking forward to that day? Look at verse number 22. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, Jesus, are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Verse 27. But there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. One day, for all followers of Jesus, we will be in the new heaven and the new earth, and all things will be made new. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more saying goodbye, no more death, and all things will be passed away. All things have become new in Christ. Are you looking forward to that day? Maybe. In theory, it, looks, it sounds great, right? There will be no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, no more saying goodbye, no more hurts. Because all things are new. But, but did, you, did you catch that there is a qualification in that? There's a condition. It says there will be no one in there that will defile it. What is the last part of Verse 27 say, let's just read the whole verse. But there shall by no means enter it, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This morning, one day in the future, God will make all things new. God will finally and fatally judge sin. He will have a new heaven and a new earth. But the only people in the new heaven and the new earth will be those who have their names written in the book of life. All other people will be living in judgment for the rest of the eternity. I think it's vitally important for you this morning. I think it's vitally important for me this morning to tell you then how can you be one of those people with your name written in the book of life? Because the truth is, when we look in our culture today, when we look in the world today, it, it seems very natural for me as a follower of Jesus to ask the question, why? I alluded to this last week, but uh, this past uh, Friday, my wife and I sat in the hospital room with a gentleman of our church, and you know, 
his, his wife was about to pass. In fact, we prayed over her a few hours later. She did pass. But here's, here's, here's the statement he said that just kind of sits heavy on me. He said, God, John, I, I really thought that God was gonna allow me and my wife to grow old gracefully together. I don't have an answer for that. Just like the psalmist doesn't have an answer for today of why things hurt. And I I wish I did. I don't know. Sin entered the earth and because of sin, death, sickness, disease, hurt, pain. But one day, God will make all things new. Only for those who've placed their faith in Jesus. Jesus clearly said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. The only way for you to have your name written in that book of life so that you can experience the new heaven and the new earth where there is no sin and no pain and no shame and all those things is that you must believe Jesus is who he said he was. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said this. He said, you, I, I preach the good news to you. You believe the good news. And because you believe the good news, you can be saved. You can have your name written in the book of life. So it's vitally important then for us to know, well, what's the good news that Paul preached that if I believe in the good news, then I can have eternal life? Well, the good news he went on to say, it's like verse four or five in chapter 15. He simply says, the good news is this, that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he raised to new life according to the scriptures. Do you believe that? Yes or no? And if you believe that and you place your faith and your hope of eternity in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he has come back to life, then I've got good news for you. Your name will be written in the book of life. You will see the new heaven and the new earth. And that's something we can look forward to, correct? If you're not clear about that, you don't know for sure. I would love to talk to you about it after church. I would love for you to settle, but it is very simple. It's you believing that Jesus died on the cross personally for your sins and that if you place your faith in Jesus that he did come back to life, then your name will be written down in the book of life. And so although we don't have the exact answer for today, we know that one day God will make all things new. In fact, as we prayed over Raphael on Friday and Daniel and I gathered around, my wife, and we just said, Daniel, I'm gonna see her again, aren't you? And you know what he said? No doubt. Because they've both placed their faith in Jesus, they do have an eternal hope they will be together again. And although I wish I had an answer for today, yesterday morning, a young couple walked in that I didn't know. They had messaged me on Facebook. We have like mutual friends. And they just said, hey, we need some prayer. And so they came in yesterday morning and began to tell me their story. 
and a young couple, first pregnancy, and they lost their baby in like 14 weeks. We came down here, we stood right there. I prayed over them. They had this little blanket, I don't really know what it represented, and that little box. And I just, after we prayed, I said, tell me what's in the box. And they opened it up, and there was just uh, about this big, a little plaster mold. It had on that mold two footprints and two handprints. And I'm telling you, the the footprints probably could have fit on a nickel. And if I'm that couple, you know what I'm asking? Why? Why? But you know what their faith told me yesterday? Exact words that young lady said. Her baby got a free pass to heaven. Because one day, God will make all things new. And although today, I may not have the answer, the psalmist doesn't have the answer, one day, God will make all things new. And I think the psalmist is, we kind of walk through that outline and I'm kind of diverted from that a long time ago, sorry. But we see the contrast between the wicked and the humble. Because in verses two through 11, right, we see the pride of the wicked. We see the plans of the wicked. Like look at verse number 11. And in verse number 11, basically what, what the pride, the wicked is saying Well, God's not judging me now. I don't think he can or I don't think he will. Isn't that that the pride of the wicked? God's not doing anything. God hasn't done anything now. Either he can't or he won't. That's the pride, the arrogance of the wicked. I'm gonna do what I want to because God can't or he won't do anything about it. But then it, it, it shifts to the prayer of the righteous. All right, look, look with me back at this prayer. There's a, a lot here we could unpack. Come back Wednesday night, I'll unpack a little more of it. Verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. And isn't that what King David actually did reference in Psalm chapter nine? It probably won't be on the screen because I don't have this in the notes, but if you have your text or you have the U version, you know how to find Psalm nine. But it says this, Psalm nine, verse nine, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble. And those who know your name, they will put their trust in you. You have not forsaken those who seek you and you realize that we will never seek God if we're filled with pride our pride keeps us from prayer our pride keeps us from humbling ourselves and asking God for help our pride keeps us from seeking God because we can handle it we can do it we're big enough and pride 
keeps us from God. And, and the psalmist, again in chapter 10, arise, O Lord, lift up your hand, do not forget the humble. And, and I, I would just say, when you outline that, when you underline that, when you circle that, write in Psalm chapter 9. God will not forget the humble. Those who know your name can trust you and seek you because you will not forget those who seek God. And understand, we will never seek God if we're filled with pride. All right, let's, let's go on. Verse number 16. Under our outline, this is what's titled the Proclamation of the Righteous. Verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. Isn't that a great statement? In fact, it's so great. Look up on the screen. Let's, let's say that first. Let's just read the whole verse together, right? Psalm 10, verse 16. Ready? The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his. The king, the Lord, right? We remember all caps, the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord is king forever and ever. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you believe that? If the Lord is king forever and ever, then what we read in Revelation chapter 21 will happen. That will happen. It's not just something that we read about. It's a truth in scripture that we find. The Lord is king forever and ever. And if you are gonna spend an eternity with the Lord, king forever and ever, what did Revelation chapter 21 say you need to do? You need to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And how do you do that? You simply place your faith in Jesus Christ. And the psalmist, even in the questioning, even in the wondering, even in the waiting, even in the why God simply gets to the point. You realize from verse one to verse uh, 16 and 17 and 18, and let, let, let's read this again. This is so good. The Lord, verse 16, is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of the land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You might underline that. Humility. You will prepare the heart. You will cause your ear to hear. To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, to the man of the earth may oppress no more And what this psalmist is simply declaring, listen, his circumstances have not changed from verse 1 to verse 19. Nothing has changed. What has changed is that in spite of his wandering, in spite of his worry, in spite of his waiting, in spite of his, God, why don't you deal with this and the effects that sin causes, he simply declares, God, Yahweh, is Lord forever. And one day he will put the nations at rest. One day he will judge sin fatally and finally. And in the waiting and in the wondering and in the whine, can I say that? God, I'm going to trust you. And maybe we don't have an answer for today in Psalm chapter 10 is because the reality is oftentimes we don't get an answer for today. And sometimes the pain, the hurt, the suffering doesn't go away. And we may never know why. See, see my hope and my trust is not that when I have pain, I'll someday know why. 
Some, you know, sometimes God allows us to, to see a glimpse of the why. I remember the first time when I was very young, 26 years old, and there was a girl in our student ministry who was 16 years old, leaving off Euland Street on um, Red Lobster. She got on 20, ran into the back of an ambulance, died instantly. And you know what I asked God? Why? I guess that's been 24 years ago. I still don't know why. I got a glimpse of it because at her funeral, there were like 50 high school students that gave their life to Christ. And, and we could celebrate that, but I still didn't have my answer. My hope cannot be that I'll know why. My hope has to be in I know the God who knows why. Because he never fails. Do you believe that? And one day, he will set the record straight. One day, we will know the why. But it may not be here. It may not be today. And so what the psalmist teaches us is that even in the wandering even in the questioning that I can have faith in spite of my feelings. Because the truth is, some days I feel like I could do a better job than God. You ever felt that way? So in spite of my feelings, I can sing and I can worship because God is good and God is faithful.